Hey, this is John at The Bible Project. Quick heads up before we get into this episode. Today, we're going to talk about a book in the Bible called The Song of Songs. So if you're listening to this around someone who doesn't know about the birds and the bees, I suggest putting on some headphones. Song of Songs has struck many readers throughout history as like, what is semi-erotic love poetry doing in the Bible? And once again, it's all about the assumptions that we bring to the Bible. We're in the middle of examining the books of wisdom in the Hebrew scriptures, learning how to read them well in light of the whole story of the Bible. And today, we're going to dive into the book called The Song of Songs. Now, for most of us, Including Song of Songs in the wisdom literature might be a bit of a curveball. And if you're like me, you've never really known where to put this book in the Bible. It just seems like a random collection of love poetry. However, if you've been an attentive reader of the Hebrew Scriptures, you know that storylines can be symbolic and read on multiple levels. There's something similar with the Song of Songs. Multiple layers of meaning that work simultaneously. So you can read it as love poetry, but if you start paying attention to hyperlinks, you'll notice that there's all of this Eden imagery going on. If you pay attention to other hyperlinks, sometimes even the same ones, there's all this temple, Temple Solomon imagery going on. At one level, the Song of Songs is about sexuality. So what do we do with that? Humanity's pursuit of knowledge and wisdom in order to rule can be completely made on analogy to men and women seeking each other sexually. It's supposed to make you blush, but at the same time, the sexual layer of meaning is also speaking on the same layer of meaning that Proverbs 1 through 9 is with these two women. The Song of Songs is all about pursuing wisdom or actually about wisdom pursuing us. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Song of Songs. Yeah, this is brand new territory Yeah, for us. Yeah, we've never talked about this book. Not at all. Not once. I don't think it's ever even come up in like, Mm -mm. read this verse from Song of Songs and see how... Yeah, so this is in the context of conversations we're having about preparing... For a series, oh, for a video on how to read the wisdom literature. Yes. The goal of it is to help modern readers recover the the larger narrative context of these books in the Bible. Mm -hmm. What role they play, the contribution they make to the overall storyline of the Hebrew scriptures, and how they fit into its grand narrative. Mm-hmm. Because uh, many readers have noticed, and Song of Songs is such a great example, when you step into Proverbs, you don't hear about Mount Sinai anymore, mm. or the sacrifices, or the prophet sent to you, exile and promised land. It's all gone. Well, uh, depending on your point of view, <laughs> it's all gone. Uh, however, uh, it's all hyperlinked into the story of the garden and the story of Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, for example. And then once you see that that's the story it's tuning into, it's tuning into like the baseline story Mm -hmm. of the Hebrew Bible that began in its first pages, then all of a sudden it fits like hand in glove as to what Proverbs is doing in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. Song of Songs has similarly struck many readers throughout history as like, what is semi-erotic love poetry doing in the Bible? (laughs) Doing in the Bible. Yeah. And once again... It's all about the assumptions that we bring to the Bible. But if you've been following the Eden echoes 
through Genesis on in through the Torah and prophets, the role that the son of David and wisdom or women play. There's Adam and Eve, but then there's King Solomon and these women. And then the book of Proverbs is all about this, the line of David pursuing lady wisdom. Mm-hmm. Begins and ends that way. Mm. All of a sudden, Song of Songs begins to fit within a, a storyline mm. that makes sense. So, Would you call this then a metaphorical reading of mm, Song of Songs? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, okay. Yeah. So the history of interpretation is mostly divided between, well, is it just love poetry uh-huh. between a guy and a girl? And, you know, let's not make it into something else. Because on its face, that's what it is. But the question... You just pick up the Bible, yeah. read Song of Songs, you'd be like, oh, oh this is love poetry, poetry. Mm-hmm. between two people who are madly in love. That's right. However, if you've been an attentive reader of the Hebrew Scriptures, you know that storylines can be symbolic and read on multiple levels. So the story of Solomon can just be, oh, about a king. He built a lot of wealth. Mm-hmm. But the moment you start reading that story in tandem with the book of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. then you realize he's a complex character. He's both building a new Eden, but he is breaking all the laws of the Torah <laughs> in the process. Yeah. So then that adds a new layer of depth. Yeah. Then you read it alongside the Garden of Eden narrative, and he's like a new Adam with both an idealized Eve in front of him, mm. Queen of Sheba, and the fallen Eve, so to speak, the deceived deceiver Eve. And all of a sudden, Solomon's story has a new symbolic layer to it once mm-hmm. I see how it fits in to the architecture of the whole Hebrew Bible. Okay. So something similar with the Song of Songs. Yeah. Multiple layers of meaning mm. that work simultaneously. So you can read it as love poetry, but if you start paying attention to hyperlinks, mm-hmm. you'll notice that there's all of this Eden imagery going on. If you pay attention to other hyperlinks, sometimes even the same ones, there's all this temple, temple Solomon imagery going on. Hmm. If you compare it with Proverbs, you'll see that the female beloved in this book acts and speaks just like Lady Wisdom and like Lady Folly, all hmm. these hyperlinks. And then you realize, oh, this is the same thing that was going on in Proverbs, is the same storyline being activated here Mm. about humanity's quest for wisdom Mm. and always searching, never finding. Yeah. So this really, (laughs) this really enticed me, interested me to talk about the quest for wisdom, Mm -hmm. or I guess the way to say it would be our quest for romantic love ah, as yes. a metaphor yes, yes. for a quest for wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Are you saying mm. that's the baseline? Mm. You, you said the baseline narrative, but would you say mm. then, like, when you when you kind of dive in as deep as you can, you realize that's the heartbeat mm. of mm-hmm. of this? Yeah. Is that underlying metaphor? Yeah, it's the, again, it's pages one through three Yeah, <laughs> uh, that have set the base melody for the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. Mm. Um, and every book, every story after Genesis 3 is just riffing off and developing and creatively developing new things. So yeah, when I walk into the Song of Songs, um, through history in later Jewish tradition, mm-hmm. uh, the symbolic reading was fully assumed. Mm-hmm. What's this doing in the Hebrew Bible? It's a dramatized symbolic narrative about Yahweh, God of Israel, who's the male lover, in the Song of Songs, and then the, uh, Israel, the mm. people of God, as the fe- as the female voice. Mm. That's 
explored in Jewish tradition. And it becomes an allegorical reading in that different events in Israel's history from the Torah and prophets are then read mm. symbolically into different um, events. Hmm. So the, the famous one is the opening line is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And then there develops all this famous tradition in, in Jewish interpretation about all each of the laws of the Torah was a, a kiss. <laughs> 611 kisses. So um, that's a different approach than the one that you've been co- correct. Uh, yeah, proposing. Yeah, and then um, in in the Christian tradition, an analog to that developed yeah. in that uh, this is about the Messiah mm-hmm. is the male lover, and then the, the people church. of God, the yeah. church. Yeah, and so yeah, what I'm talking about is an interpretation that exists within the Hebrew Bible itself. Mm. The reason why this, the, what that first line is doing in the Song of Songs, connecting it to Solomon, mm-hmm. it's hyperlinking it to Proverbs, mm-hmm. to the Solomon narrative, mm-hmm. which is itself is a massive design pattern on the Eden story. Yeah. And that's the original biblical context for the Song of Songs. It's a biblically symbolic <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never heard of this interpretation before. Yes. Uh, why is that? I'm not the only person, just so you know. Yeah. Like there's lots of other Hebrew Bible nerds out there. I think it has to do with the fate of the of modern biblical scholarship of only seeing what it's looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so the industry of Old Testament scholarship, especially in, in the ref, since the Reformation, has been obsessed with reconstructing the history of Israel's religion and beliefs. And so... What what scholars were then trying to do was place the materials in the books of the Bible or the books themselves into a reconstructed like chronology mm-hmm. of the development of beliefs and ideas. Oh, okay. And so the wisdom literature gets put into some context, a historical context. And then conservative scholars do it a little bit differently, mm-hmm. more critical scholars do it differently. Um, but what both of those paradigms is doing... I think without even realizing it, is taking apart the narrative context that the biblical authors have provided for us mm-hmm. for making sense of these books. Yeah, And so that's what that's all I'm trying to do. So I just want to make sure I'm clear Yeah, and also people listening. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Song of Songs, which is mm-hmm. Hebrew love poetry. Eight chapters of... Yeah, s- semi-erotic love poetry. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time I heard you use yeah. the phrase, semi-erotic. <laughs> Not fully erotic, semi-erotic. Well, yeah, fully erotic would be more explicit. Yeah. Um, and this is, lots of people have done this. A couple scholars, Scott Nuegel and Yair Zakovich, uh, have written extensively on this. Almost every line of the poem is packed with double and triple meanings. Wow. And Hebrew word plays and puns and yeah. sexual innuendos. Um, so it's intended to make you blush. It's supposed to make you blush, but at the same time, the sexual layer of meaning is also speaking on the same layer of meaning that Proverbs 1 through 9 is with these two women, which is also full of some pretty intense sexualized imagery. Right. But it's symbolic there about the pursuit of wisdom. So we'll we'll talk more about that. In Proverbs, it's very clear that that the women represent Mm -hmm. wisdom. Yeah. And so I guess it's not a big stretch to then come and say, mm-hmm. well, maybe this is doing the same thing. Correct. And so the the interpretation that became common in yeah. the Jewish tradition became yeah. this allegorical interpretation. Yeah. 
this erotic poetry was uh, an allegory for God's mm-hmm. relationship with Israel. Mm-hmm. And then the Christian tradition ran with that and said, yeah, well, actually, more specifically, mm-hmm. between the Messiah, Jesus, yeah, and yeah. the church. Yeah. Um, and I am familiar with, with that reading, and I, but I also know that there is a debate yeah. even within there of whether yeah. or not it is just mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. poetry or mm-hmm. more than that, an allegory. Yeah. But what you're saying is let's take a step back from that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave that to the side. Yeah. And let's just say, let, let's look at the, the <clears throat> narrative of scripture so far, mm-hmm. specifically about mm-hmm. how the Hebrew scripture is talking about how yeah. do we attain wisdom, the quest yes. for wisdom. Yeah. And as you do that, you start seeing all of these hyperlinks mm-hmm. of the woman mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. wisdom yes. and us pursuing the woman mm-hmm. and how there's this alternative woman mm-hmm. who represents the opposite of wisdom, folly. Yeah. Yeah. And so and to that degree, mm-hmm. Song of Songs mm-hmm. is all about the pursuit of, Correct. of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, well, two points in response to what you're saying. One is what both Christian and Jewish traditional interpretations of the Song of Songs have in common is the assumption that the book works on multiple levels of meaning. There's a a first, like, base level meaning, yeah. love poetry between yeah. a man and a woman. Right. But the assumption is this is in the Hebrew Bible, and so that base level meaning activates a symbolic level of meaning. Uh-huh. Right? That's both of those traditions assume that. Yeah. They have that in common. Right. And I I and a bunch of people smarter than me have done a lot more work on this think that that basic common denominator is correct. Right. It's in the Hebrew Bible primarily because of its symbolic way of retelling many of the core themes of the biblical Mm storyline. So if you can, if one accepts that point, the question is, okay, where, how does it fit in? Mm-hmm. How does that symbolic layer of meaning fit in? And then, so this is the second point. This all has to do, we need to, we made a video about the shape of the Tanakh mm-hmm. in a read scripture. It's like an yeah. introductory Tanakh. But this would be, be more be a video if we ever do like a how the Bible was made. Mm. But, you know, this collection of scrolls, the Hebrew scriptures, didn't ever exist in one bound form. Right. Anywhere in, in the second temple period. Yeah. They, they, this was a collection of scrolls right. whose beginnings and endings were all hyperlinked and editorial connected together. And there's hyperlinks connecting within the scrolls to each other. But their unity was a mental unity. Mm-hmm. It, it, its unity existed in the minds of the people who mm-hmm. studied and prayerfully read the, the whole collection. Yeah. And so if you think of it, I think of it as like a big family quilt. Right. So if you take the Song of Songs out of the quilt of the Hebrew Scriptures and just read it by itself. Yeah, it's, it's love poetry. Love poetry. But the moment you take it and put it within the quilt yeah. of the Hebrew Bible, mm. you start to notice things because it's using a lot of the same vocabulary and ideas that I find in Proverbs 1 through 9 mm. and that I find in the Solomon story and that I find uh, in the Garden of Eden story. And then mm. all of a sudden it has a scriptural context mm. and... That's the layer of meaning that I'm interested in and would like to introduce people to in this video. Cool. Yeah.
Okay, some basic facts hmm. about these eight chapters of love poetry in the Bible. 117 verses. Okay. 70% of those verses are spoken from the voice of the female uh, beloved. Hmm. I'm going to call her the beloved. Okay. And she's saying all kinds of things. She's talking about her lover, longing for him, repeated motifs of how she goes looking for him. Mm. She has dreams about being with him, but then she wakes up and he's not there. Mm. She hears his voice. She goes looking. Then long descriptions of how awesome he is and how how handsome he is. So that's 70%. Mm. The other uh, 30% is spoken from the, the male lover. And he is never uh, given a name or a title. Well, sorry. The title he's called is king or shepherd. Hmm. The female beloved is called by all kinds of descriptors. My beloved one, uh, my dove, my precious jewel. (laughs) Uh, And she's given one descriptor, uh, which is the Shulamite. Uh, The word Shulamite is the feminine Hebrew form of the name Solomon. Oh. So Shlomo. Yeah. And Shlomit. Shlomit. <laughs> yeah. So Solomon, what would be an English oh, way to do that? Solom, Salamina. Salamina. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Okay, so this is the puzzle. Welcome to the puzzle. Here it is in a nutshell. Okay. The first line of, is, of the poem is, the song of songs, which is Le Shlomo, in relationship to Shlomo. Yeah. <laughs> In some kind of relationship. Okay. It usually gets translated to mean authorship, which is by Solomon, mm. but that's not Got it. N- a necessary translation. Got it. It's just, it's the word to mm. in Hebrew, in relationship to. Okay. So you go, okay, uh, the ultimate song, Shira Shirim, yeah, song, the song of, songs. of songs. Yes. In Hebrew, you'd, yep. you'd say the holy yeah. of holies. The... Yes. Yeah. The most common other phrase that uses that, it's a singular noun set in re- relationship to a plural noun. And it means the ultimate one of that category. Right. So the holy of holies is the ultimate holy place of all holy places. Yeah. King of kings. King of kings. Lord, Lord of, of lords. lords. And then the song of songs. The ultimate song, which this is in is relationship to Solomon. In relationship to Solomon. Who so, wrote a thousand and five songs. Totally. We're told that he wrote a thousand and five songs. But the odd thing is the male voice is never called Solomon. Hmm. He's called shepherd and king mm-hmm. by the, the beloved. And when Solomon is mentioned in the book, he's mentioned um, just a few times, uh, it's always in third person as someone else. Hmm. And so this has led some people to think that there's three speaking characters in the book. Hmm. There's Solomon, who's described either neutrally or perhaps even negatively, depending on how you interpret how he appears. Hmm. Then you have the shepherd lover, Mm -hmm. and then you have the woman. Hmm. So this has led to a whole body of interpretations that there's a three character drama going on. Hmm. There's the woman who um, is somehow supposed to be getting married to Solomon, but who she really loves is Mm. this shepherd. She wants to run away with him and escape Solomon. That's a possible reading. You could. The other one would be, if I have been informed by the Solomon story of First Kings, Mm -hmm. you remember there's two sides to Solomon. Mm. There's Solomon who loves to accumulate wealth and women. Mm-hmm. But then there is the ideal Solomon mm. who... Um, asked for wisdom. Who asked for wisdom and who, when he was at his best, was uh, uniting in riches and honor with the one, 
queen of Sheba. <laughs> and together, Yahweh is praised among the nations when those yeah. two hang out Yeah, in very, a very suggestive way. <laughs> I mean, she comes to... You I, think it's suggestive? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the queen of Sheba, that story, and she comes to test him. Yeah. And she comes with all these riches. They end up in a room together, and you're just like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> but instead of sleeping together, getting married, they praise Yahweh. They just discuss wisdom. Right. And then they praise Yahweh at the end of it. Yeah. And Jerusalem is made even more like Eden afterwards. My point is the Jekyll and Hyde thing. Yes. Two sides of Solomon. So the other way to see these two male figures in the Song of Songs mm. is that it's precisely mapping onto the two sides of Solomon in the book of Kings. And the reason why we think there's two, possibly two male figures is because Solomon is called out a few times mm -hmm. as a character. He, yep. He's named and he's named in such a way that you could see it as a different figure than the shepherd, the shepherd guy okay. that the lady loves. Mm -hmm. Could it also be that in the process of the final assembly of this book, mm. some of the poems came from... Mm. Mm -hmm. was, Sol was Solomon was the character and some of them he oh, wasn't uh, for sure that is possible but whatever the Song of Songs meant before it was put into the quilt yeah. of the Hebrew scriptures it could have meant all kinds of things right. and I'm sure that it did <laughs> yeah. what I'm asking is <clears throat> what yeah. who is the male character now the, that it's the in authors the the, they wouldn't have left that in Unless mm. they wanted to. Correct. So there's a reason Correct. why Solomon's called out. There's a reason why Solomon and this shepherd seem like they're the same character, but then also seem like they're different characters. Huh. What's an example of him being, um, Solomon mm -hmm. being called out? Yeah. For example, in chapter three. So in chapter three begins with um, the beloved. She's having um, a dream. Well, there's debates about whether she's having a dream or she wakes up, but she wakes up. She says she's on her bed at night seeking him. And then in the scene, she's going around the city squares, just like Lady Wisdom goes around. It's all the same vocabulary. Remember from Proverbs? Mm -hmm. She goes out into yeah. the city. Yeah. She's in the street. She's in the squares calling, yeah. come to me. Mm -hmm. All of this is it's exactly what this lady's doing. Mm. She's waking up. She's going out into the city streets asking, where is he? Where is the one that my soul loves? There's watchmen in the city. They've seen him. Then she says, verse four, I found him. I won't let him go until I've taken you to my mother's house, to the room of her who conceived me. Hmm. And you're like, oh, they're going to go. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to a room. They're getting a room. Yeah. Right? Get a room. And then verse five, the lady, the beloved says, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I make you swear by the gazelles of the field, don't arouse or awaken love until it is ready. This happens three times in the book where they meet. Yeah, it's about... They come together, they're about to get a room. Yeah. And then the poem just stops and you get this little re same refrain right here. Yeah. Hey, don't Slow down. arouse love until it's time. So this is the seeking and finding motif in the book where mm -hmm. they're constantly looking for each other. Three times they meet up and then... Yeah. The scene cuts and you're back to a different scene. So sh she found her shepherd boy mm -hmm. and they were about to get a room and then it, the scene closed. Then verse six, who's this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense scented with powders of merchants. It's a scene of a, a royal procession. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it says it's the couch of Solomon, 60 men around it, mm -hmm. the mighty men of Israel. Mm -hmm. So it's a scene of here comes Solomon. Procession of Solomon being carried yeah. on this couch, all fragrant. Yeah, 
coming from the wilderness, carried by bodyguards and all this. Yeah. And it goes on to describe, you know, this sedan chair. this royal mobile uh, it's made of silver gold purple and all of this and then verse 11 go forth daughters of Zion it's like he's coming to Jerusalem go out daughters of Zion look on King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him for the day of his wedding it's it's a wedding procession Mm. he's coming to Jerusalem to be married so this is where someone's like okay she's in love with this other guy totally they're holding off that's right and but here comes her husband to be correct one way of saying is uh she's supposed to be getting married to solomon here he's coming and all his opulence and wealth yeah. but who she really loves is this rustic shepherd boy <laughs> that she wants to chase out in the fields yeah. that's one reading the other reading is to say that these two male figures are, are coordinated mm-hmm. but in a complex way hmm. just like the solomon figure in first kings is the same figure but he's got two sides hmm. to him and so to have a poem about the lady going and searching and finding, followed by a poem about Solomon coming to Jerusalem to finally get married, mm. those could suggestively be connected because they're both about the same thing. I see. About the son of David coming to be reunited, to be united with his bride in Zion and, and so on. So I'll just register for this conversation. I have a lot of work I still want to put in. Mm on this, Mm -hmm. on the Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. So nothing that I say (laughs) is final. (laughs) But this is what I'm observing. Many people have observed it. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a part of the key to the book is Mm -hmm. that, because think, he's the son of David. Yeah. And I already have all of this background of Solomon as a new Adam Uh who pursued wisdom, but then ultimately failed. Yeah. And then that leads to all of the sons of David leading Israel into self-destruction in exile. Hmm. And so I f- walk away from Genesis all the way through Second Kings going, you know what we need around here? We need a son of David who will be like Solomon was on his good days yeah. and embrace Lady Wisdom ultimately. And the Song of Songs fits that profile exactly of a Solomon. <clears throat> a Solomon-like figure. Shepherd king. Who actually is embracing yes. yeah, Lady but, Wisdom. But the unique twist of Song of Songs is that it's the lady looking for him. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that twist. So, is that, would, would am I supposed to think of that as Lady Wisdom mm. pursuing me? Mm-hmm. Mm. Or am I supposed to think of that as a way for us to think about the same idea of mm-hmm. humanity seeking wisdom, but now from a female perspective? Yes. Okay, it's great. Great. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote and I'm going to show you a couple things. Sure. And then we'll talk about this. So I quoted from Roland Murphy's introduction yeah. to wisdom literature. <clears throat> so he has a chapter on the Song of Songs. Okay. It's short and but dense and r- r- helpful, I think. Great. And he's on this. He's on this train. Uh, so he says, on one level, the Song of Songs is a collection of love songs. However, as edited to be part of the Hebrew Bible, do these poems have a wisdom character? on another level of understanding. First, there's the fact the ancient Jewish tradition attributed this work to Solomon, Mm -hmm. the first line of the poem. It was meant to be read as a work in the Solomonic wisdom tradition. And there's an affinity between wisdom and eros in the wisdom literature. Eros meaning a sexually charged passion. Mm. (laughs) The quest for wisdom is a quest for the beloved. The language and imagery used to describe the pursuit of lady wisdom in Proverbs 1 through 9 are all drawn from the experience of love in Proverbs. Yes. The Song of Songs speaks of love between a man and a woman, 
and it is by that very fact open to a wisdom interpretation. Mm-hmm. Just like in Proverbs, wisdom is to be found, just as one finds a good wife. Mm-hmm. Both wisdom and a wife are called favor from the Lord. Mm-hmm. The sage in Proverbs advises the youth to obtain wisdom, to love her, to embrace her. The young man is to say, wisdom, you are my sister, just as the beloved in the song says, you are my sister. So in other words, the woman in the song of songs mm-hmm. is called my sister, mm-hmm. which is a, was a Hebrew way of describing your wife. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You call your wife sister. Oh. And that's exactly what Solomon says, my son, Embrace wisdom like your sister. Murphy goes on. It's precisely the link between eros and wisdom that opens up the song to another level of understanding. While it is not wisdom literature, and by that he means talking about wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Right. Its echoes reach beyond human sexual love to remind one of the love of Lady Wisdom. Okay. There's more hyperlinks that we can go through where really unique metaphors and images of Lady Wisdom in the Proverbs 1 through 9, mm-hmm. are verbatim mm. describing the female beloved mm-hmm. in the Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. So loving and embracing her. In Proverbs 5, <clears throat> um, the good wife <clears throat> and lady wisdom is called a well of fresh water mm. that you drink from. Mm. In the same way, the beloved in the book of in the Song of Songs is called a spring and a fountain, a well of fresh water. Uh, we talked about my sister, Mm-hmm. Um, Lady Wisdom says that in Proverbs 8 that her fruit is better than gold, mm-hmm. meaning if you embrace her, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very suggestive image, <laughs> yeah. eat my fruit. Yeah. Well, Lady Wisdom is also becomes a tree in Proverbs. Well, she's the tree of life. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. So same thing in the song. It's actually even more everywhere is she's described as all kinds of fruit trees yeah. and Eating the fruit is the primary image of yeah. sex in the book. Yeah. Embracing her, eating the fruit. It's interesting how knowing is a sexually charged word too in Hebrew. And it, that's yes. the tree of knowing exactly. good and evil. Yes, totally. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So in Proverbs 3, wisdom's called a tree of life. You take hold of her. Mm-hmm. In the song, chapter 7, there's this long poem describing the beloved as a palm tree that the lover says, I want to climb and take hold of the fruit and Hmm. all of this. So uh, here's the point, you you can just see it right here. The female lover and lady wisdom are are aligned. So from here I would say, okay, the Song of Songs, when I read those, I'm actually now lady wisdom seeking me. Correct. And that was happening in Proverbs, but it's mutual in Proverbs. You seek her, and she will seek looking after you. Yeah. Um, in the song. But the, but the intensity of her searching. Correct. Is pretty high in Song of Songs. In Song of Songs, it's mainly the female lover constantly going and looking. Yeah. For the the shepherd king. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So, and again, this fits so neatly with the Solomon story. He begins by asking for wisdom. Yeah. But then he goes on to like neglect neglected as he goes about building the new Eden. Yeah. And so he kind of gets it, but he kind of doesn't. Hmm. And then at the end of the story, God's like, I gave you everything and you, hmm. you blew it. And so in a way that's very similar. The song of songs becomes a, like a what if scenario. Oh man. I love Marvel what, comics. What do you mean? Oh, okay. What was your favorite? The Punisher. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, a, a <laughs> little kid there was a whole like spoof series yeah that they issued it's called what if 
And it would be what if stories about every hero in the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. about usually them dying, mm. or because they didn't want to actually put a story of say Spider Man dying, yeah, in the actual series. <clears throat> right. So they created an alternate series. Ah, that's smart. Of like what if stories, yeah. about all your favorite characters. Yeah, <laughs> got it. And I've actually thought many times the Song of Songs is kind of like a what if. What if? What if Solomon uh, had actually gotten it right? Okay. In First Kings one through eleven. He almost gets it right, but then yeah. he fails. Okay. And now we are symbolically retelling mm. through the imagery of Eden and Proverbs 1 through 9. I see. What if he found Solomon fully, actually... Fully consummated with wisdom. Yeah, totally. And it turns out that the way that's going to happen is because the lady is actually looking for him. Mm. It won't be by his effort. Mm. It will be by her finding him. Wisdom seeking him. Yeah. Yeah, which is what wisdom was doing in Proverbs 1 through 9, was out there looking for the naive sons of men to come to her and eat her fruit. That's really interesting. So in the allegorical interpretation, mm. the male figure is the divine. Correct. Yes. But in this one, mm-hmm. the female character is the divine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Or she represents yeah, well, God, yeah, lady, the attribute, lady wisdom. The attribute with, of God. Correct. Of wisdom. Yeah. Correct. Which, which in, we've talked about mm-hmm. is yeah. more than an attribute. It's part of his yeah. identity. Yeah. But again, now we're to multiple layers of meaning, though, because in a way, think of the role of Eve, the Eden story. Yeah. You have a helpless guy who can't fulfill humanity's calling alone. Yeah. And so the woman is given as a gift to the man as Azer. Remember the whole, Mm -hmm. she's called Azer, Mm -hmm. which um, means more than what the word help means in English. Mm. It's the indispensable deliverance without which the person can't do what they're supposed to do. And in a way, in other words, in God's wisdom, he evaluates what is good and what is not good. It's not good. Yeah, for him to be alone. So in God's wisdom, he provides the woman, and now together they can rule creation as kings and queens. And in a way that's, so I'm just saying, for the woman Mm -hmm. to be the narrative image of divine wisdom fits right hand in glove with the portrayal of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Right. We've taken a few steps and I'm trying to keep them all related and coherent in my mind. Yeah. You got Adam and Eve mm-hmm. and you've got the two kind of levels of Eve. Yeah. You've got the like Azer yeah. Eve and the yeah. Deceiver Eve. Yeah. And then those become metaphor for wisdom using that idea of how important it is for, for humans to not be alone and to be united. Yeah. Uh, and that pursuit of of the other that completes you mm-hmm. being compared to your pursuit of of God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's proverbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in other words you're saying proverbs 
is building out these two different kinds of Eves, yeah. these two roles of Eve, into two different ladies, uh, Lady Folly or Lady Wisdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can just kind of run with that, and then you can forget about mm-hmm. the underlying kind of basis of that metaphor, yeah. which was the human relationship. Correct. And then you can just kind of run with mm-hmm. our pursuit of wisdom. But you're mm-hmm. saying you could always step back, mm-hmm. and the other layer of meaning is still there. Correct. Which is... Yeah. Yeah, our desire for for the other that yes. that completes us. Yeah, that's right. Which is why in the book of Proverbs uh, you have Lady Wisdom in the opening chapters, uh-huh. who's a metaphor for God's wisdom. Uh-huh. But then the book ends with a poem about the noble, wise woman. Yeah, that the imagined male reader of Proverbs being addressed by Solomon actually wants to like marry and. An actual awesome noble woman. Yeah. So, and there's the two layers right there. You can refer to an actual woman (laughs) or uh, a metaphorical woman, and both layers of meaning are connected. This is still foggy in my head. Uh Well, no, I mean, I can see how the characters and the symbols all match up. Right. But I have never drawn a chart. (laughs) It might be helpful to sort out and draw a chart. But yeah, so there you go. I was responding to your comment that the female character represents the divine. And you're saying, yes, Whereas on one in level. the Jew- Jewish and Christian later interpretations, it's the male character that yeah. represents the divine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I was just... Uh, That's a good, it's a good observation, observation, I think. Because the female character in Proverbs is the divine. Correct. Yeah. Lady Wisdom. Yeah. I could show you a couple other things. Sure. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, these 117 verses, uh, lo and behold, have a beautiful symmetrical design, <laughs> meaning that the... Opening and closing poems are all have unique vocabulary mm. that hyperlink them as a frame mm. around the material in the middle. Mm. And then the material in the middle is itself all coordinated in these patterns. Mm. So the main scholars here are Cheryl Exum, William Shea, and Richard Davidson. And they all have, they argue about little differences. Yeah. But they kind of like, they did a bunch of work in the 80s. And people pretty much accept it that, like, oh yeah, this thing. It's symphonic and cyclical and Uh repetitive, Uh the way most biblical books are. (laughs) Um, And what's interesting is it begins and ends with the, it begins and ends with these characters looking for, and it's the first meeting, and then they get a room, and then the scene cuts. Mm -hmm. Then at the end, there's, they meet up and find each other, they get a room, and then the scene cuts again. And in the middle are these two dreams where they lose and find each other. It happens two different times. Mm. And then at the very center is an invitation by the bride to come and then, or by the the beloved, and then they decide to be together Mm -hmm. in the very center of the book. Mm. So the point is, is even the architecture of the book has a cyclical nature to it. It's working in these cycles of searching, finding, almost consummated, Mm. cut, Mm. searching, Finding almost consummated cut yeah. in these cycles, which means it keeps building. Mm-hmm. Anticipation's building. Yep. And just go to go to chapter six with me. Okay. So this is uh, they found each other in another one of these. They found cycles, and now they're just like going off in poetry about how wonderful each other is. Chapter six begins with someone addressing um, the woman, saying, "Hey, where's your man? Mm-hmm. Where is he?" And then she says, oh, he's down in his garden. So again, just think Eden Mm. and the Solomon story. He's down in the garden. Verse three, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Mm -hmm. It's famous. Yeah. I've helped a lot of people get 
that inked on their Hebrew. bodies. Totally. Seriously, what the number one tattoo <laughs> that people have asked me to help them spell is make sure the Hebrew's right. <laughs> don't have this line. And then they begin to describe each other. He says, you're beautiful as Tirzah, you're lovely as Jerusalem, and so on. And so he, he goes on to describe. They meet up in the garden, and he's describing her. And then uh, verse 8, the man says, you know, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines, hmm. and young women without number. Who does that remind you of? Solomon. The Solomon. But my perfect dove is unique the only one. She is her mother's daughter, the pure one of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and call her blessed, and the queens and the concubines all praise her, saying, and then it goes into another poem. So this is a key moment where I think the shepherd and Solomon figure come together, Uh, and this becomes like, oh, the what if scenario. Yeah. What if? What if he realizes yes. that wisdom is more important Correct. than all these other things? That's right. Yeah. Um, all these queens and concubines. Now, it says here 60 and 80. You remember in Yeah, the first he had like 700 was... and 300. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, but it's poetry, you know, it's for the effect. But there's one. At, at one. at one stage in his life, he had probably 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. got to work his way up. Yeah, yeah, that's you right. You don't get to 700 wives overnight. Yeah. So that's a key moment in the turning of the that's right, turning of the po- poetry, and then it it builds on to another scene that goes through um, chapter seven. Um, go to chapter eight with me. This is the, kind of the last cycle. Mm-hmm. She says to him, "Oh, that you were like a brother to me." Remember, she he called her sister. Yeah, You're my brother. These this are, is a there's Semitic, Semitic terms for like familial yeah. intimacy. Okay, yeah, it's confusing. It, it is to us. Oh, that you were like a brother to me, nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me. I would lead you around. I would bring you into the house of my mother, who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. His left hand, let it be under my head. His right hand, let it embrace me. Again, this is all hyperlinked to Eden, Solomon, and then Proverbs 1 through 9 imagery. The embracing? Mm-hmm. The Embrace wisdom. Take oh. hold of her. Mm-hmm. Take her fruit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, oh, they're about to get a room, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're embracing in the house. <laughs> and then here's that <laughs> refrain again. Wine. Daughters of Jerusalem, I make you swear, don't arouse or awaken love until it's ready. Verse five. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the beloved? Beneath or underneath the apple tree, I woke you up. There your mother was in labor with you. There she was in labor and gave birth. Just pause real quick here. So we have our shepherd king, Uh Solomon figure, Uh who goes into a house with the beloved lady who Mm -hmm. he's embraced and sought after. Then all of a sudden they're in the house, but now they're in a garden. Mm -hmm. And they're under the tree. Mm -hmm. Because just pause. And it's a tree where she was born. Yes. Yeah. So Genesis 2 and 3. Yeah. This is all connected. Okay. Of an Adam and Eve under the tree. Yeah. Let's imagine another what if scenario. Mm. We've imagined what if Solomon hadn't blown it. Okay. What if mm, Adam and Eve Adam and Eve hadn't blown eat it? Of the tree. You can remember what happened. The first thing that happened after they ate the fruit. Yeah. They hid from they each hid, other. They were divided. Yeah. They hid from each other. They were naked and now ashamed of their bodies to each other. So this becomes a what if. Hmm. What if humanity uh, had embraced Lady Wisdom? Then it would be 
the two of them under the apple tree and the birth of the new humanity. There, your mother was in labor. She was in labor. She gave you birth. There's something happening here. Mm. My point is... You I, think this birth stuff's about... Either the messianic seed of Genesis 3.15. Oh, it's not about the birth of wisdom. This is about them having uh, offspring. I'm actually not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me in a year. Yeah. But we're recreating a what if scenario from Genesis 3, right? Got it. That's for sure what's happening. And then most scholars recognize that the two following lines in chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, step back and do a backwards reflection over the whole book. Okay. She says, put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Think of the garden. Mm. Okay. The severing of Adam and Eve's love resulted in death. Mm. But God's been on this pursuit like a lover through Lady Wisdom, seeking humanity to be reunited so that humanity can together rule the world. Mm. And on the male and female level of meaning, the Adam and Eve level of meaning, that would mean a reunion and a new love between them. Mm Mm-hmm. So the breaking of love is death. Mm. In Genesis 3, mm-hmm. the reunion of love is stronger than death. It's a great line. Dude, oh, he goes on. Love is as strong as death. Keen, ah, passion. It gets translated jealousy, oh. but it's passion. Mm. Passion is as severe as the grave. <laughs> its flashes are flashes of fire, a very flame of Yahweh. <laughs> Dude, many waters cannot extinguish love. Mm nor can rivers overflow it. Think of the flood narrative. Hmm. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, like Solomon, mm-hmm. like failed Solomon, right? Yeah. <laughs> it would be utterly despised. This is acting like a little reflective commentary, I think, linking up now the themes of the book to themes of life and death. And, yeah. And, uh, and what you discover is human love is itself just like a little taste and experience of the love that permeates the cosmos, Hmm. the love that's been pursuing humanity that won't give up on it until you get a new humanity that won't die Hmm. to be reunited in love to do what God called humanity to do. I think that's what this is about. Hmm. I think. Yeah. It could be wrong about all this. (laughs) 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 But it wouldn't be just me. There's a lot of people. What is this book doing in the Bible? And why are all these hyperlinks to Eden and Proverbs? Yeah. This book is working on many levels. Hmm. this is really really good on one level i want to and i want to think about this more and like pursue this Mm. potentially very helpful Mm. to have this metaphor Mm. um, in my imagination Mm. because frankly sexual impulse to Mm. me Mm. is so confusing (laughs) i mean it's Uh. it's like one of my biggest gripes Uh. for God. Mm. <laughs> it's like, um, mm. from an evolutionary standpoint, mm. our mm. sex drive makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from a 
beautiful mind creating us as image bearers to mm. multiply. Yeah, we need a sex drive. Mm-hmm. But it could have been toned down a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we could have brought that down a few it, notches. It could have been not as severe as the grave and <laughs> as fiery as death. You know? Yeah. yeah I hear that. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, most men, and I'm sure a lot of women, then have to deal with that. Yeah. Every day mm-hmm. of this this Im- drive, this impulse. Yeah. And um, yeah. a chemical impulse. Yeah, it's biological. It's biological. At one, on one level. Uh, yeah, this, on one level, it is a chemically driven impulse in, yeah. bo- in their bodies. And so I've always just kind of just been like, ah, what a dumb mm. thing. And mm. because, like, with other impulses, mm. um, like hunger or something, it's not as severe unless it, you get really yeah, yeah, in, yeah. A, in a hard way. Yeah, yeah. It's more clear the spiritual practice around that of mm-hmm. uh, of dealing with that, mm-hmm. but with with sexuality, it just it's just mm. so much hard. It just feels just mm-hmm. so much harder. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all to say, mm. this is really fascinating to like mm. try to to frame that sexual impulse mm-hmm. as an opportunity mm. to be thinking about mm. um, the pursuit yes. of wisdom. Yes. The pursuit um, of knowing and being known. Hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, on a biological level, my body is charged with chemicals yeah. towards certain behavior, <laughs> yeah. uh, sexual behavior. Right. Another frame would be to say it's charged with desire Yeah. to have a desire met. Right. What is it that meets that desire? It's to be close to another human mm-hmm. in a kind of intimacy and closeness that the Eden narrative gives us a language for of becoming one flesh. Mm-hmm. Sex is the closest that two humans can become yeah. one with each other right. physically. Yep. But in a way, when you have, have a really good friend who understands you and you have history together mm-hmm. and you don't have to tell them what you need, mm-hmm. they just know you mm-hmm. and you can talk on like, a deep level and finish each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. That is a metaphorical kind of, it's an experience that can be likened metaphorically <laughs> to sex. Hmm. It's a meeting of the minds, hmm. a unity. We call this, a kin, you know, that person, we have a kindred spirit or we're one in heart or one in mind, hmm. right? It's as if the sexual act is a physical expression of some a deeper longing, which mm. is to know okay, and, and be known. The, but these, it also is a biological longing of like correct. a release. That's what I'm saying. That's, when I say physical, yes, it's so a physical, biological. So there's that level desire and longing. But you're saying there's also then the, in, the intimate yeah. longing that's connected yeah. to it. That's right. But here's the thing: is when you join those two, when you join that physical union uh-huh. with a person yeah. with whom I have a covenantal trust, knowing and being known kind of union. Yeah, dude, you've got. You've got love, <laughs> which humans have been fascinated with love. Because mm. not just... Phys- got eros. Yeah. In other words, the physical act of sex is itself participating in a greater right. kind of union that I we're see. all looking for. Yeah. And it's exactly why pornography is so dehumanizing. Because huh. it's separating the physical act from mm. any kind of relational union. It just can become anonymous mm-hmm. players who do this thing. Um, and it's just a cheap substitute for the thing that we actually want, mm-hmm. which is to be one physically and one in heart and mm-hmm. mind with mm-hmm. another. Yeah. 
And so I think the biblical authors actually understand this way more than we do, (laughs) (laughs) which is why humanity's pursuit of knowledge and wisdom in order to rule Mm -hmm. can be completely made on analogy to sexual metaphor, men and women seeking each other sexually. Yeah. And why the search for wisdom can be turned into a set of erotic symbols. Okay, so uh, the person who's helped me the most here, and I've just really discovered his work, it's a scholar named Peter Lightheart, hmm. who has a podcast hmm. um, called the Theopolis Podcast. Oh, okay. Um, and it's sometimes I him, think I've run into that. sometimes another guy named James Jordan. But actually, he has a series that's ongoing right now, or it recently finished. It's probably eight or ten episodes exploring the Song of Songs. Oh. And he's been very helpful in, in giving me language and categories. I really hmm. recommend it. If mm. the Song of Songs is your thing, Peter Lightheart's Lightheart. exposition will you'll find really helpful. But yeah, there's some connection here between sex and knowledge and wisdom mm-hmm. and the storyline of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So practically, it's it's that the intensity of that of that impulse mm. being an opportunity mm. to. I just have not okay. known what to do with yeah. it, but okay. it seems like this is a cool opportunity to go, oh, okay, yeah. when that comes up, it's mm. it's not just mm. an impulse for for physical sex. Yes. Let me connect that to mm-hmm. a deeper impulse of being known by others, but mostly mm-hmm. being known by God, which yes. means yeah. wisdom. Correct. Yeah. Wisdom and covenant, living and ruling my little corner of the world in the knowing that I am the beloved. And I should be seeking that as strongly as I seek sex. Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's a discipline of the imagination and of the physical impulse to say my my physical desire for sex is a C.S. Lewis. It's kind of a C.S. Lewis theme. It's a a pointer to something much bigger. And from a Christian point of view and a Jewish point of view, a biblical point of view, it's it's a pointer to the meaning of the universe <laughs> that a single human hmm. cannot in and of themselves ever be what we are be made complete. to be. Hmm. Um, we can only become what we're made to be in a, by union with God and with others, hmm. which doesn't mean have sex with everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what is a friendship except a kind of union? Yeah. Mental of, union of or kindred. Known. Yeah, that's right. So in a way, all of our friendships are a kind of a using the word sexual, it's our sexual unions <laughs> in the way of sexual just meaning interrelational. Intimate. Yeah, inter- interrelational. interrelational. So that is very, yeah, these are deep waters. Mm-hmm. But my sexual drive, think of, uh, you remember how in Genesis 1, the sun, moon, and stars are called signs? Mm-hmm. They're symbols mm-hmm. that glow with the glory of God and point to the ultimate mm-hmm. source of light and life. In a way... That's what the Song of Songs is. It's a sexual icon. <laughs> yeah. That says our sexual drive is itself a pointer 
to God's own passionate pursuit of humanity hmm. to install them as his beloved rulers over creation. Something interesting about the sexual impulse more than any other impulse, hmm. it seems the most fraught with peril, hmm. like hunger again. You need to be careful of what you eat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you should yeah. not, you should spend time hmm. fasting. That's a spiritual practice and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Hmm. But in general, you're not like, it's not so restrictive. But with the sexual impulse, it's just how you pursue that. Yes, yes. Is, is yeah. you have yeah. to be so particularly careful. That's right. Um, that it just seems like unlike mm. any other impulse mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. It stands in this kind of its own category. I think so. And it's so it's yeah. kind of, I just, I'm, I'm interested then in, mm-hmm. is there a significance there mm-hmm. in terms of that being... Mm. The, the metaphor then for pursuing well, the divine. Well, um, I think it creates life. Yeah, creates life. When I eat a meal, I get energy and then it goes you out of- sustain life. I, it sustains my life, and but then it passes out of my body. Yeah. When people have sex, new life is generated yeah. out of that. And when that sexual act is also in the context of two unique others who are united in a covenant of love, life being created out of a covenant of love. Dude, Mm. Mm. we're talking, when Paul talks about the Messiah in Ephesians 5, he's talking about husbands and wives. Yeah. And all of a sudden he just immediately shades into talking about the Messiah and his people. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's really, whenever I'm talking about marriage. Yeah, I'm really talking about that. I'm really talking about the Messiah and his people. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what we're after here. It's that human love resulting in whole body, mind, heart, union, generating new life. I think the biblical authors want us to see a symbol there of, of God hmm. that points to God as the ultimate community of love hmm. that generated the life of the universe. Hmm. I think that's what we're supposed to see here. What do you think is the significance of the theme then of of uh, anticipating and mm. then refraining mm-hmm. in Song of Songs? Mm-hmm. If it's about wisdom, it seems weird to be like, ah, let's just wait. Yeah. If it's about sexual intimacy, you can be mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, there's wisdom and waiting. Mm-hmm. But why this mm. coy oh, got like it. thing with oh. wisdom? I think the cyclical patterns of seeking and finding, they get a room and then scene cut, start yeah. over again. My hunch is that that is imitating the way that the narrative of the Hebrew Bible works mm. and points we forward. Get so close and then... Yeah, think of Solomon. Oh, we're almost... There, it's yeah. like a new Adam and Eve. Oh, dang it! But the 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 phrase "Don't wake in love until it so desires," or mm-hmm. you had a different yeah, translation and, of yep, that until it's ready. Until it's ready. Yeah, yeah. There's a sense of um. Well, that's not the point. The point was it wasn't ready. The point was mm. we missed the opportunity. Oh, I see. Well, it's not time yet. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And actually, what's interesting is the, the last sentences of the book end with a new cycle of searching and finding kicked off, and then it just trails off. Mm. So all of a sudden... Yeah, like the, the friend, last verses the of friend the book. sister. Totally. Yeah, totally. The man says in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 13, You who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. And then the last line is, Hurry, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. And you're like, oh, wh- where are they running to? <laughs> where, oh, now they're there. They are again, off looking for so each other. So there's a sense of like this yeah. is an ongoing, That's perpetual right. pursuit. Right. Yeah, like love, like love, and <laughs> and like our and like yeah. wisdom. Yeah, and like our sexual drive. 
It just doesn't really go <laughs> it away. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it keeps driving us forward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to just close with a quote mm-hmm. from another Hebrew Bible scholar, Ellen Davis. She's written a very helpful commentary on the Song of Songs and done lots of other writing. Huh. And her project is to show how the Song of Songs is a, re- a reversal of Genesis 3. Oh, cool. By returning us to the temple, mm. which is a Sitting under the tree. Eden. Yeah, the end, totally. Yeah. So she says, loss of intimacy is exactly what happened in Eden. Eden was the place where God was most intimate with humanity. Witness God taking a walk in the garden at the breezy part of the day. Genesis 3, verse 8. Obviously, expecting, God was expecting to have the humans for company. When God calls out, where are you? When they don't appear. There's good reason to imagine that God intended to impart wisdom to humanity on those walks, Mm, little by little. But when Adam and Eve disregarded God and tried the direct route to the knowledge of good and evil, the immediate result wasn't literal death. Rather, it was distrust breaking into their relationship between God and humanity. Do you remember? They hide from each other, mm-hmm. and then they hide from God. Mm. It was blame erupting between the man and the woman and the onset of a long-term imbalance of power between them. Your mm. desire will be for your husband. Mm-hmm. He will rule over you. Mm. It was a curse on the fertile soil, enmity between the woman's seed and the snake's seed. The exile from Eden represents the loss of intimacy mm. in the three primary spheres of relationships between God and humans, between woman and man, between humans and Mm. creation. Correspondingly, the song uses language to evoke a vision of healing in all three areas. Hmm. More accurately, it reuses language from other parts of scripture. Verbal echoes connect the garden of the lovers with the two earlier gardens, the one of Eden and of Israel's temple. And so all the way back, we talked about this in Genesis, that word desire in Genesis 3, your desire will be for your husband Mm. and he'll rule over you. Mm -hmm. What she's saying, and she's right, we're meant to see that as a sad Mm. distortion of ruling together in Genesis 1. That word desire appears in only two other occasions in the Hebrew Bible. In the following story of Cain, about how sin's desire Mm. is for you, Mm. it's crouching, Mm-hmm. and it desires for you. So there it's a desire to devour mm-hmm. and consume. The one other time that the word is used is in the Song of Songs. Hmm. It's in chapter seven where she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. He wants to devour me. Well, <laughs> so once again, yeah, yes. But think in Genesis 3.16, the woman's desire yes. is for the husband, but uh-huh. he's gonna be a jerk like men are mm-hmm. and rule you. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's reversed in the song. Hmm. Oh, really? Now I belong to my beloved and mm. his oh, desire is for oh, me. Interesting, yeah. It's a reversal of Genesis 3.16. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, the oh, he- cool. it's the healing of the rift oh. between man and woman. That's awesome. Totally. So I think Ellen Davis is exactly right. Wow. So her commentary is very helpful. So Song of Songs, man, I think, you know, we're only going to have like 60 to 90 seconds to yeah. cover all of this. But... I think we can do it in a way that just opens the door to show how this book is so perfectly fits within the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. We've got one more episode in this series on how to read biblical wisdom literature. After that last series, we're going to do one more episode, a question and response episode. So if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. You can send your question to info at jointhebibleproject.com. 
Let us know your name and where you're from and try to keep the question to about 20 seconds or so. Today's show was produced by Dan Gummel, theme music by the band Tents. The Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit. We're in Portland, Oregon, and all of this is possible because of the generous support of many people just like you. We are so grateful for you. Thanks for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Kent Laws. I'm from Pleasanton, California. My favorite thing about the Bible Project is the overwhelming generosity that allows us to access this amazing content for free. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, and more at thebibleproject.com.